Good morning, everybody. Thank you again for welcoming us into your home. As we've said, we're not going to church. Church is going to you now, and it's really good to get back together. Here it is, another Sunday, and as time is marching forward and we're all kind of suspended in this coronavirus, we've made a decision as a staff that we're going we're gonna to take a little um, detour here. While we're going to continue our series in Thessalonians, uh, waiting and watching and working for Christ, but we decided that we're going to, going to pause for a few weeks, and we're just going to focus on a few psalms. And so we're going to do a brief series here, and we're calling it Psalms for Such a Time as This. And the reason we're going to do this, I mean, it, it, it makes obvious sense that the psalms are a gift from God to help us in the midst of various situations, including difficulties. And so I want to begin by just sending out our, our, our consolations. I know some of you are really hurting. You're, you've, you've lost loved ones. You're, you're fearful. You've lost jobs. And so please, again, I want to encourage you to go to our website. We've got resources there to help people. If you want to help people, if you want to give and contribute, just Pray for one another. Pray for our country. Pray for the churches. Just pray that we can minister to each other. But I, I'm, I'm grateful to be in, in your home right now. Many of you as a family are watching together. And I just want to encourage you while I'm introducing, if you have your Bible, if you want to turn, we're going to be looking at Psalm 130. But before we do that, I, want to, I just want to share one of the reasons why I think it'll be really helpful for us to go through a few Psalms at a time like this. The Bible says in Colossians 3 that we should let the word of God dwell in us richly and teach one another with psalms. That's the first thing it says. Teach one another with psalms. This sacred hymn book, 150 songs that God has given to us. I really like what John Calvin once said about the psalms. I want to read you a quote. He said, there's not an emotion, one single emotion of which any of us can be conscious that is not somehow represented as in a mirror. Here in the Psalms, the Holy Spirit has drawn all of our griefs, all of our sorrows, all of our fears, our doubts, our hopes, our cares, our perplexities. In short, all of our distracting emotions with which we're agitated. You know, that's funny because Calvin said that But years before that, there was a a church father by the name of Athanasius. And he said this, an ancient church father, whatever particular need or trouble you have, from the book of Psalms, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you may learn the way to remedy your ill. Now, just think about what this guy's saying. Thousands of years ago, whatever your issue you can find in the Psalms something, a medicine to help remedy that pain. I want to recommend a book as I begin. My wife and I this year began to work through the Psalms. It's a book by Tim, Tim Keller. I actually stole it from a friend, but I, I told him later. I was staying at his home, and he wasn't using it, and he was away, and I figured I'd take it home, and when I finished, I'd give it back to him, but I confessed, and he gladly forgave me. But anyway, it's called the Songs of Jesus. And you're like, what, what? Jesus was a songwriter? No, 
it actually is uh, basically all 150 psalms in which Tim Keller proposes something that I think is absolutely right. We know that the Jewish people, devout Jewish people in Jesus' day, sang the psalms. That was their songbook. They didn't have K-love to be positive, encouraging. They listened to the psalms and they sang them together. And so we can be sure that Jesus sang the psalms. In fact, of all of the Old Testament that Jesus quoted, the number one book that he quoted was the psalms. And so with that in mind, Keller takes each psalm and just, you read the psalm together. It's a great devotional for families. And then I'll have a brief thought at the end. But I want to read you a couple things that Keller said about the psalms that, that really, if you'll bear with me a little bit, I think you'll enjoy this. He is very uh, good with words. It'll sort of introduce where we're going to go in the next few weeks. <clears throat> he says, the early Christians sang and prayed the psalms. When Benedict formed his monasteries, he directed that the psalms would be sung, read, and prayed once a week. Throughout medieval times, the psalms were the most familiar part of the Bible for Christians. During the Reformation, they played a major role in the reform of the church. And so he says, all theologians and leaders of the church have believed that the psalms should be used and reused in our daily private approach to God and in our public worship. One of the reasons, he says, is what Luther called the Psalms a mini-Bible. I really like that. He says, it gives an overview of salvation history. In fact, that really struck me when he said it's a mini-Bible because it sure gives the overview as often as Benjamin leads us in worship. We talk about God and we talk about sin and we talk about redemption and then we celebrate that. And so... The, 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 the Bible gives a drama of redemption. The Psalms provide a sort of a stage to, to, to walk through there. And so, as you think about this, somehow the Psalms help me to express my thoughts, to, to, to put my struggles into words. I don't remember where I found this, but I had copied down a quote that someone wrote. He was trying to illustrate how the Psalms help us to put in words what we're feeling. And I thought, this is, this is a great illustration. He said, when our son was two or three years old, he informed my wife and I that he couldn't skate. And we were like, what? And he kept saying it. I can't skate. I can't skate. He was just a little boy. I can't skate. We really didn't understand what he was saying until they finally realized that what he was really saying is, I'm sick. But he didn't know the words to say, I'm sick. But somehow he remembered a line from Winnie the Pooh. I can't skate. And so sometimes we may feel in our souls some deep pain, some deep fear, some deep desire to say something. And God uses the Psalms to give us a way to express our emotion to the Lord. So Keller goes on to say, you know, I call the Psalms medicine. I'm trying to do justice to what makes them somewhat different from other parts of the Bible. They are written to be prayed, recited, sung, but he says they're also written to be done, not just read. What does he mean? How do you do a psalm? He said, well, in a way, to use the Psalms is to alter your relationship in a way that mere listening does not. 
What we do is we take these psalms, he says, and we put them inside of our own prayers. Or sometimes, he said, we put our prayers inside of the psalms. And then somehow that gives the speaker a new attitude, a new commitment, a new promise from God, a new emotion. He says, let me give you an example. In Psalm 139, the psalmist said, search me, O God, and see if there's any offensive way in me. Well, I could just read that. But if I pray it, then I'm actually inviting God. Search me, O God. Test my motives. And, and, and show me the way of life that you want me to live that's called for in the Bible. And so as we approach this coronavirus and all of the things that are going on around us, sometimes we don't really have a way to put into words our fears, our frustrations, our anxieties, and our, our disbelief or our, our, our maybe resentment and anger towards God. And so I hope that this will, for some of you, remind you and stir you up to the Psalms and for others, introduce you and welcome us, welcome you into this journey of Psalms. Even you young people, um, even if you're just a kid, it's a great idea to begin to learn Psalms. And actually, anytime you can get a Psalm that you can learn to sing, uh, parents, I want to recommend, Keith Green has some excellent videos of Scripture. One of them, Psalm 51, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, I will trust in you, teaching our kids to sing the Psalms. In fact, I want to invite you to do something right now. If you're watching this as a family, just pause the video for a moment and talk with one another and see if you kids and parents can even quote some verses from the Psalms. You know, maybe, maybe one of you will go, oh, isn't, isn't, uh, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Or, or yeah, isn't, isn't there a psalm of the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want? Just, just take a moment and, and speak to one another and, and remind one another. Maybe, maybe your kids will be surprised hearing you quote some of the psalms and maybe they'll surprise you. And if, and if you come up empty looking at each other going, I don't know any psalms, well, this will inspire you to, to start to get into the psalms. So, Keller closes, he says, most of the Psalms read in light of the entire Bible bring us to Jesus. I don't want you to miss that. That while the Psalms were the songs that Jesus sang, the Psalms are also the Psalms and songs that point us to Jesus. That's one of the things I really appreciate about Benjamin's leadership and worship. The songs are pointing us to Jesus and, by the way, they often are using the Psalms. So Keller says this, the Psalms were Jesus' songbook. When Jesus sang a hymn at the Passover meal, as Pastor John mentioned, it was probably the great Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113 to 18. There's every reason to assume that Jesus would have sung these Psalms, but they're not just songs that he sang, they're songs about him. Some of them very direct messianic psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But others, songs about the king. We saw last week, Psalm 2 was really a a coronation psalm about the crowning of Jesus. So with the rest of our time, maybe 25 minutes together, we're going to just do a sample. We're going to take a look at Psalm 130. Psalm 130. And we're going to walk our way through this psalm And parents, this is something that 
that, that as you're working with your kids and spouses and couples, and those of you who are teaching the Bible and discipling people, it's a wonderful opportunity to just open up this avenue to learn to rehearse and go through the Psalms. The Psalms aren't something that you go, oh, I already read that. I mean, think about how ridiculous it would be if, if a song that you really like came on the radio and, said, and you said, please turn that off. Why? Because I already know that song. So please don't go, oh, just because I already read the Psalms. Well, that's the point. If you've read the Psalms, it ought to be like some of them should be your favorite songs. Let's turn them on. Let's play them. For some of you, you need to dust off the cover of the Psalms and say, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I really need to get back and start not only reading them, but praying them, singing them, and then as Colossians 3 says, speaking to one another. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, we learn this, that when the early church gathered, the apostle Paul invited them to come and bring with them something from the Psalms to encourage the other believers. He said, whenever you assemble, have a psalm or a teaching or a revelation or a tongue so that you can edify. And so what I'm hoping to do as, as the Spirit of God brings us into your home is to either bring the psalms into your home for the first time, dust the psalms off of your Bible if you've forgotten about this, or just celebrate like, yes, you got it. Let's keep going with the psalms. And so this morning we're going to look at Psalm 130. And one of the things I want to encourage you to do is you can go deeper in this, folks. There's some wonderful tools out there for, for studying the Bible, even something as simple as a study Bible. For example, perhaps many of you never thought about this, but the book of Psalms, which has 150 chapters, is actually five books. It's compiled by later editors, and it'll say at the end of a certain section, like Psalm 40, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, have ended. And so for some of you, you're like, gee, I didn't realize that within this big book of Psalms, there's five sections. How were those psalms put together wait David didn't write all of the psalms no as a matter of fact there are psalms of Korah psalms of Moses and then another thing that I want to encourage you to dig deeper and again you can look in study Bibles or go online and look for good material background of the psalms some of you may have never really thought about that there are different kinds of psalms For example, one of the types of psalms that's in the Bible are called psalms of lament. Not all songs are meant to be songs of celebration. Psalms of lament are psalms when you're actually pouring out your sorrow, your frustration, and your disappointment to God. Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to tell God that you're mad, sad, glad, or feeling had? Yeah, as a matter of fact, you're not only allowed to do that, we need to learn how to do that. If you haven't learned to pour out your heart to God, there's no point in faking it, dear God, I love you so much, if you're really mad at him. The psalmist said things like this in Psalm 73. Lord, I have kept myself pure while the pagans are just doing whatever they want and all day long you afflict me. That doesn't seem fair. In fact, Jeremiah once had the boldness to say to God, Lord, you deceived me. In other words, you didn't tell me that they were going to beat me up all the time. And so I tried to be quiet, but then your word burned within my heart and I couldn't keep quiet. 
yeah, it's okay to respectfully let God know how you're feeling. But there's also another type of psalm, and these are called the Psalms of Ascent. There are 14 psalms in the middle of this hymnal, beginning with Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 that are called, or 135, the the Psalms of Ascent. Now, if you'll look with me in Psalm 130, we're going to find that this is kind of right in the middle of these Songs of Ascent. And while some of them will, will tell us in the superscript they were written by David, some of them were not sure. For example, Psalm 131 says a song of ascents of David. But Psalm 130, we don't know who wrote this. Why are they called songs of ascent? Well, there's a couple of different views. But probably the strongest view is that these psalms were sang by people as they were longing to return to Jerusalem. You have to understand that in Bible times, if you went down somewhere or up somewhere, it didn't have to do with north and south. It had to do with topography, higher or lower. So for example, when we say, I'm going down to Georgia, well, they wouldn't have said it that way because going down didn't matter whether you're going north or south or going up was all about was the elevation higher. So regardless of where you were in relation to Jerusalem, if you were at a lower elevation, which you probably were because that was up on a mountain, you were going up to Jerusalem. And as weird as that sounds, we do it too. I've never heard anybody say, I'm going up to the beach. Well, why do we say down to the beach? The beach isn't south. It's because the beach is at sea level. So wherever you are, unless you're in the ocean, if you're going to the beach, you're going down. So these Psalms of Ascent were most likely songs that were written or sung by the people who either were in captivity. Many believe that some of these Psalms were written by the the Jews who were in the Babylonian captivity And then, as they looked away to Jerusalem, they would think about lifting up their eyes to the hills of Jerusalem from whence comes their help. That's where the Lord is. And then it's believed that not only was it sung by the exiles as they returned, but it was also sung by by Jewish people as they ascended to Jerusalem each year for the feasts. So, for example, as as they came from all over the Eastern world. That's called the diaspora, the the scattered Jews. As they yearly would make their pilgrimages in big families and caravans up to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms of ascent. And I'm sure that many of them, including Jesus, would have these memorized. So picture 12-year-old Jesus, his first trip to the Passover to go to Jerusalem. They're going up to Jerusalem and he's singing along with others the Psalms of Ascent. So we're going to look at Psalm 130, and what makes Psalm 130 particularly interesting is that it is a song, and in the superscript in Hebrew, it is called a song, but yet many theologians say it's more like a lament. So could I even maybe say that Psalm 130 is a little bit of a hybrid psalm? 
it's kind of a, a lament, but it's also a song. And so this is something that they would sing to the Lord. And you know, when you think about it, usually when you're sad, you don't want to sing. In fact, James chapter 5 actually says, if anyone's suffering, let him pray. If anyone's cheerful, let him sing praises. But in this case, we can both be suffering, but we can still sing. And in fact, that shouldn't be foreign to us, as Benjamin has recently reminded us of Horatio Spafford and It Is Well With My Soul. Here's a man in deep pain, having lost loved ones to a sinking ship and, 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 and writing out of the depths of his pain, Though Satan should buffet and sorrow should come, let this blessed assurance control that, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well with my soul. So let's look at Psalm 130, this lament. And one of the things that's fun is as you really stop and think about it, and, and what's really cool is I want to kind of let you in on a little secret. At the end of this uh, discussion, we're going to sing this psalm. You're like, oh no. Well, actually, we've already been singing this psalm because many of you know that Benjamin has introduced us to this wonderful song by the Gettys, I Will Wait For You, I Will Wait For You. That, that's Psalm 130. And so it'll be fun as, as we read through this. And one of the things I found is, is I kind of fell in love with that song as Benjamin's been leading us in it. I'd never heard it before. But then as I studied this passage, I then found it even more meaningful as I sing it now. So in this song of ascent, we're going to see that this particular song has three sections. In the first section, the psalmist is going to bring his problems to the Lord. We need to learn how to explain our problems to the Lord. And sometimes we we don't just dictate factual statements. We emote, right? So we're going, to, we're going to learn to bring our problems to the Lord. Secondly, we're going to learn that then we need to wait patiently. You, you, you bring your problems to the Lord, you keep doing that, but then you have to wait patiently. And then finally, after we've learned to bring our problems to the Lord and then patiently keep praying about it and wait, third, then we encourage others to do the same. So let's start in verses 1 through 3 where we learn to tell our problems to the Lord. Tell him what we're facing. The psalmist says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Now, one of the things that's fun to do is to try to say, okay, if each psalm is a medicine for my soul, what was this dear psalmist problem? Well, many times there's metaphorical language. He says, out of the depths I've cried to thee. And you go, hmm, okay, so he must have been in the ocean. Is this kind of like, is, did he kind of have a Jonah experience where somehow he was drowning in the ocean? And, and I encourage you to read Jonah too because it's a beautiful psalm. But one of the things I found is that the, the word depths in the Bible really had some interesting insights because depths wasn't always water, although often it was. And, and so when, when we talk about feeling down or being down in the dumps 
or being cast down. Depths, I found in, in the scriptures, can have a number of things. Uh, the depths of waves, but sometimes we're not in the depths of water, but the psalmist would speak about being in the depths of a deep pit. For example, he says in Psalm 40, you brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of miry clay. Sometimes depths were pits. Sometimes he says, Lord, your breakers rolled over me. Sometimes they're waves. Other times he says, Lord, you've afflicted me with the cords of death, Psalm 116, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me and I found distress and sorrow. And so we're learning to bring our problems to the Lord. And so when this brother says, out of the depths, we don't know for sure at this point what is his problem. Are enemies trying to get him? Has he learned that he has some sickness that he's going to die? Has his wife uh, been unfaithful to him? Has he lost a loved one? Has he just become clinically depressed? Has he lost his business? Are his kids wayward from the Lord? We don't know for sure, but I think he gives us a little bit of a clue. But what we're learning here is to learn how to tell the Lord your problems. (coughs) I'm going to suggest that this brother's problem was the greatest problem we all face. We often think that our greatest problems that we face are external But I would suggest that many times the number one problem that we face is not others, it's myself. It's my own personal sin. Now that doesn't mean that all our problems are because we sin, but often our problems are related to sin, even if our problem is not because we started it, but maybe someone sinned against us. But often the expression hurt people hurt people. We have sinful reactions to someone else sinning against us. So in the long run, our problems often relate to our sin, our unbelief, our, our lack of faith, our lack of surrender, our lack of humility. And so somehow I think the psalmist here was struggling with guilt. Now, get in line if, 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 if you go, oh, I struggle with guilt. If you're a Christian... All Christians struggle with guilt. How could we not struggle with guilt? How could we not at times say, oh, wretched man that I am. Even on our best day, we're shot full of sin. One Puritan said, even if I came forward and knelt at the altar, my tears would need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. And so the reason why I think his depth had to do with guilt over sin is he goes on to say, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? So somehow as he's ascending up or as he's writing this psalm, he's, he's feeling overwhelmed by his failure and his sin. And as a result of that, he's feeling as though God is has not listening. God is ignoring him. He's going, God, will you listen? Give me your ear. God, are you distracted? God, are, 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 you, are, you, are you deleting my calls? God, are you hiding your face? But notice what he does as he pours out his heart and he persistently cries out to God. He reminds himself of God's mercy. He says, Lord, if I had to come before you 
and, and we went over my sins, how could I stand? How could I stand in judgment? I deserve wrath. But then he says, but Lord, there is forgiveness with you. That is really important. Those of you that struggle with guilt, remind yourself that while it's true that we are, as Paul said, wretches, we also have a wonderful Savior. And so each time you look within and you see your own sin, John Calvin used to say, then you need to take 10 looks away to the Lamb of God who took away our sin. And so what the psalmist is doing is he's reminding himself that even though I feel bad about my sins, I have to remember that God is full of mercy. He probably was reminding himself of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Do you know what that is? The John 3.16 of the Old Testament is probably Exodus 32 and 33 when, when Moses asked God, show me your glory. And twice in that section, the Lord reveals himself. He said, the Lord, the Lord God, abundant in loving kindness, slow to anger, gracious and compassionate, having mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Remind yourself that while you might feel undeserving, Jesus paid for your sin and there's forgiveness with God. And as a result of that, look what it says, that you may be feared. Nothing is going to move you, strengthen you, inspire you, and encourage you more than God's grace and the gospel. Terror is not going to work. Guilt is not going to work. Grace is healing. And this is a beautiful psalm. Oh, God, I'm really struggling. If you were to take a record, Lord, I deserve your wrath. But wait, but wait. There's forgiveness with you. And as a result of that, Lord, I respect you. I reverence you. I want to obey you. Listen, search your heart sometime today and ask yourself, why am I obeying God? Why do I want to do what's right? Hopefully, it'll be because you love him because he first loved you. Not because you don't want to get caught, not because you don't want to get the consequences, but because God has forgiven you. And so what a wonderful beginning. Let's just learn to pour out our depths of our problems to God. Number two, once we pour out our problems to God, we explain our problems, we learn to wait patiently for God. We learn to wait patiently for God. Look at verses five and six. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. He says, you know how much my soul waits for the Lord? No, psalmist, how much does your soul wait for the Lord? My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. Now, one of the things that's really interesting here is sometimes when you're reading a psalm, the psalmist unfolds, I had this problem, God solved the problem, and now I'm here to praise him. But I want you to note carefully that this psalm is not in the past tense. He is not saying here, I waited for the Lord. This happened in my past. It's actually in the present. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. What does it mean 
to wait for the Lord. You know, when you think about it, Americans hate waiting. We don't want to wait for anything. I want a faster internet. I want fast food. I don't want to wait in line. And by all means, if the coronavirus is teaching anything to us, it's teaching us we really have to learn how to wait. And so this idea of waiting for the Lord is, is learning to develop a patience. It's learning to develop a perseverance, a sense in which I, I've prayed about something but now I'm watching and I'm expecting something to happen. It might not happen right now. It might not even happen tomorrow. But I am hoping and believing that God is going to answer my prayer. Something very important about hope in the Bible. The word hope in the Bible is very different from the English word hope. The English word hope is more just about, I hope to get a bike. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But in the Bible, hope is a very confident expectation You know it's going to happen, but you just are going to wait and wait and wait. But but, but you're sure. You're not wondering if it's going to happen. You're just going to wait. And so some of you are right in the midst. You're waiting for the results from your corona test. I hate that. I hate that many times people will have a biopsy and they have to wait. Like, tell me now. But whatever your issue is, God is teaching us to wait and watch for his intervention. Expect the Lord to work for you. I love Psalm 27, 14. It says, wait for the Lord. It says, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait patiently for the Lord. But I do want to note one other thing about waiting patiently for the Lord. Don't just wait in a vacuum of thoughts. Don't just wait in, 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 in a hamster wheel of your own ideas. In other words, the Bible says, don't lean on your own understanding. You'll notice that the psalmist says something very important here. He says in verse 5, in your word do I hope. Don't let your waiting flop around in the wind. Anchor that hope in the promises of God. I want to give you a beautiful example of this. I heard a true story of a little boy who was on a, on a dock in his yard in Florida. And if you've ever seen lakes in Florida, some of them can be really, really kind of green and muddy. You can't really see. So this little boy fell off the dock, plunged down into the water, and his little sister didn't even wait to see what happened. She ran to the backyard to get dad. And dad came tearing around into the front yard. He comes running out on the deck. And, and there's no boy swimming in the water. The dad panics. This is a true story. He jumps in the water... He's flailing around in this muddy water trying to find his son, probably wondering has his son drowned when suddenly he bumps against his son who was clinging to the pylon of the dock under the water holding on. He rips his son, the little boy, off of the pylon. He puts him up onto the deck and the little boy gasps and begins to breathe and the dad says to him, what were you doing when you were holding on to that dock? What were you thinking And the little boy said, I was waiting for you, Dad. I was waiting for you. Instinctively, when he plunged into the depth, he grabbed the pylon. And those pylons are God's promises. And I would encourage you, whatever you're going through, grab one of those pylons. All things work together for good. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. My God shall supply all of our needs. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
So we learn to wait patiently for the Lord. But then lastly, finally, notice how the psalmist doesn't keep it to himself. The third thing we learn is to encourage one another to trust the Lord. You see, the psalmist didn't just say, here's what I did. Now he reaches out to others. He reaches out to the community of believers. He says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. He invites them to to build them up. He says, listen, join me. I've been in the depths. I'm hoping in the Lord. Join me, will you? And here's why we're going to hope in the Lord. He gives three reasons. Number one, he says, for with the Lord there's loving kindness. Wow, what a wonderful promise. God will never kick his children to the curb. He that began a good work in us will perform it until the day of Christ. You may feel horrible that you failed God terribly, but can I tell you, if you are a child of God, that has not changed his love for you. He is full of loving kindness. The psalmist says, and with him there is abundant redemption. But I love how he closes this. He moves out of the realm of the individual into the corporate realm. You know, don't forget this, that it's not just me and Jesus. It's Jesus and the body of Christ, the worldwide church, universal. There are people all over the world who are suffering. Not all of them are suffering from the coronavirus. There are Christians, as we know, our Middle Eastern brothers and sisters are being persecuted. There's all kinds of, what about the, the, the plagues of the, of the locusts in Africa? People are suffering, but every Christian on this planet has a corporate hope. Don't forget this. One day the Lord himself will come from heaven and all of us will be ransomed and redeemed and we will be brought together into the kingdom of God and we will sing before the Lord Jesus some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and we'll worship him together. Keep that corporate hope in your soul. I love the words of this hymn. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransomed church of God. It's not just about me. As I look at my own issues and I express them to God, I invite the rest of the body of Christ. Hey guys, Jesus has us. He's going to keep us. As Benjamin teaches us, he will hold us fast. And one day he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. What a great day it'll be when all of our sins are finally and permanently behind us. And we receive a new nature where there's no more sorrow, no more pain. And we stand in the presence of our precious Lord Jesus. And so as we close this morning, in just a moment, Benjamin is going to come back on the screen and he's going to lead us as we sing Psalm 130. But I want to just read a couple lines here as we're closing. The Gettys wrote, Out of the depths I cry to you, in darkest places I will call. Are you in a dark place today? Then sing with us. They go on to write, I will wait for you. I will surely wait for you. On your word, I will rely. And stop and think, what word? What pylon will you rely? And then at the end, I love the line that says, I will wait for you. I will wait for you through the storm and through the night. We're in a storm right now, personally, corporately, globally, but God hasn't forsaken us. I will wait for you through the storm and through the night. 
I will wait for you, for your love is my delight. This song points us to Christ. It points us to how God himself has paid the price in the healing sacrifice of Jesus. And if you're joining with us today for the first time or you're still exploring Christianity, that's our message. It's not about being good and cleaning up your act. It's about Jesus died for sinners. If you know yourself and feel yourself to be a sinner, if you feel yourself weighed down and feeling guilty about your sins, then can I encourage you, just run to Jesus this morning. Just tell him your problems. Lord, I'm a sinner. Would you save me? The sacrifice is already made. Jesus paid it all. He hung on that cross, shed his blood for you, sinner. He said it is finished. And then he says, come to me, come. And it's my prayer that during this coronavirus, people who are afraid of God, afraid of dying, afraid of their sins, flock to Jesus, come streaming to him. And not a single one of you, I promise you, not a single one of you will Jesus turn away. Jesus said, no one who comes to me will I ever cast out. Come to Jesus this morning and trust him. Believe his promise. Ask him to save your soul and then celebrate that. And if you're a Christian, let's sing together as Benjamin leads us. I will wait for you. May God be with you as we rehearse the Psalms for such a time as this.